0: Okay. of um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, so, the topic that I um, wanted to do today is a topic that I feel very strongly about and have been very nervous for a while to talk about because I can think of so many people who are going to think that i 'm trying to say this to them specifically, <laughs> and i 'm not Um it 's as much to to me as it is um, as it is to others, but if you can be objective would be great. Um, so what I actually want to talk about because it's it 's as appropriate now as it already was is um, this language of extremes um, because i think we are very quick as christians to call out um other people we think are doing this so we'll be very quick like oh look at society if you don't have this view they shame you if you don't say this they think you're dumb all that's true we know that um virtual signaling um all that kind of stuff. But what I'm not sure that we um, address enough is when we are virtue signaling in the church. Um, And when we start um, speaking um, with some level of um, absolutism in the church and we do the same kind of virtue signaling. So I was going to originally put this out in a blog in four parts. Now that we're all stuck inside, um, (laughs) I'll try and and go through it tonight and then open it up to um, questions. Um, I've turned off the public chat um, for now, again, because of the issues. Um, I think, uh, Mina, by the end of it, and someone's impersonating you in the waiting room. um, I think by the end of it, Um, We should be able to turn on the the chatting because hopefully by then um, people are are out. So I'm going to go through like uh, one, two, like four-ish examples um, and, um, and go from there. So... What language am I talking about? I'm talking about the language of clearly, obviously, of course, absolutely, naturally, of course, never, always false, true, good, bad, never, leftist, rightist, homophobe, Islamophobe, anti this, pro this. Um, are you, and then within the church, sometimes it's a liberal, conservative, traditional, pro Orthodox, um, Protestant, Catholic, old school. Right. These are the these are the, the language, right, that that comes out. Um, and I think that this is part of the language of, of discourse. This is the language of discourse that's diseasing, not just society, but the church. Right. And so when you present an idea, you present the idea as how clearly right the idea is um, or how clearly wrong an idea is that is said in a way that makes sure that whoever is listening to you knows what stance they're expected to take right um so you might be like okay naturally nobody here is pro-abortion of course i have nothing against that's like that's the kind of of, of language um so let me go straight into the church thing okay um, I'll give an example and then just go through the way of thinking to, to show maybe why this is not a good idea and maybe by the end of it to talk about maybe how we should approach when we speak, okay? So um, icons, all right? So somebody will come in and go, oh, that that's, that's definitely not an icon. That That's a painting, right? Um, I've said that before. Almost all these examples, just so no one's offended, are things that I myself have, have, have said so that no one thinks I'm shooting at them. Um, or it'll be the opposite. It'll be positive. It'll be they're holding up an icon and they're like, this, this is an icon, right? This is the real icon. So what are we signaling here? That real iconography is whatever you, the speaker, think it is. That's what you're, what you're, what you're actually saying. Right? So stereotypically this means handwritten, gold leaf, traditional, etc. It depends on who's speaking, right? Now, what is the problem with this language? Okay, it's not just that it's said usually with antagonism, sarcasm, and disdain, which are all not proper spiritual conduct, right? But it also suggests an absolute, okay, about what icons are okay about what really is an icon okay so it it, it suggests that there's some extremely right or extremely wrong view about what one kind of art over another okay now I just want to go through the process of of the thinking of maybe how it like what's wrong with this and what's assumed and all that okay to make a claim that there is this there's, there's the theoretical right icon okay then you presume to have answered a whole bunch of questions already. Are there canons about icons in the church, in our church? Um, and yes or no, and are they being followed? Um, you have assumed that you've asked and answered, did icons always exist in the church? If they didn't, where did the icons come from? Did the first church that was ever established have an icon in it? And if it didn't, where did it come from? Did the first iconographer, whether it was St. Luke according to tradition or not, have in mind that he was writing an icon and not painting an icon? Did he know he was painting an icon and not a portrait? Because allegedly he wrote an icon of the Virgin Mary. And then how did the icon move from his house to a parish if a parish even existed and then how did it go from one parish to all the parishes more questions just to make it all all fun because i've seen this argument about some other things if at the time instead of painting saint luke or iconographer number one had digital means to draw would he have used them is the aspect of handwritten only expressed in the materials used or could there, I'm not giving my view. I'm asking all the questions. Okay. Could the offering also be an, a different kind of offering that this technology that I used to do it isn't as is a, as an offering of the intellect, that we were able to use God's creation to create this thing that can do this thing. Is that less acceptable? Yes or no. Right. So I'm not being sarcastic when I ask any of these and I'm not even I'm not even leading you into thinking how you should think. But what I'm trying to get at is saying when we make a statement like here's a real one. You've already assumed that, you know, all of that. Right. And you've assumed that you have an answer to all of that and that not only that you have an answer, but that it's absolute. That the thing that you're saying is, is, is dogmatically true, and not just your view. That doesn't disagree with the dogma, but is just your view. Um, to my knowledge, in the Coptic Orthodox Church, there is no dogma about the icon. There is no um, professed dogmatic view that in order to be an Orthodox Christian, here's how you view an icon, okay? And that's why the art has changed over the centuries, right? Like there, there's, there's things that have, that have happened. Um, I'm not an iconography expert, okay? That's not my point. But what I'm trying to get is, okay, there is a development in history of the use of art in churches. Each place had its own culture. Rome had statues and still does because that was a thing in Rome, right? Um, But each place was influenced by its own cultures, its own artists. They developed traditions. They developed meditations. Some traditions lasted, some traditions didn't. Um, And so all of what happened was a development of some kind, right? It was not given to us from the heavens as here is iconography. Um, And so instead of using the language of definitely or clearly something or, or another, Maybe it's better to acknowledge that everything has an origin um, in terms of iconography. None of them are absolute. And that there are many things that are really just a matter of taste. Um, And some people get mad at that being said, but let's ask that objectively. Is it not a matter of taste? Can I say that Michelangelo's paintings to me as an Egyptian Orthodox Christian is just a painting and not an icon, because in my tradition, we tend to use gold leaf. There are many ancient icons in the monasteries that didn't use gold leaf. Are they less? There are ancient churches that have no icons of any kind. Are they not real churches? Right? What are we presuming? I prayed in because I'm going to, I'm going to be real. I'm, I'm going to be a little bit more straightforward. So I met a lot of cops who are like, Oh, we are horrific as Coptic Orthodox people, unlike the Byzantines who have beautiful icons. They appreciate a real iconography, but we don't because we're so awful. Um, because look at these Western Latin innovations that have entered into our church. I have said those words myself. Okay. I'm not making fun of just those who have those views. And so I was praying in a church that we're renting from the Ukrainians. Um, some of you are online that were with me that day. I'm not taking shots at you guys. Um, and when, we, when I opened the, the, uh, the royal doors the, to the sanctuary, I noticed that the Jesus in front of me was a Latter-day Saints Jesus of the Mormon church that was painted by Ukrainian Orthodox painter that was as Latin and white as a lot of things that have entered ours. Right? And why am I bringing that up is not to say... Even the EO don't do this. That's not my point. I don't really care whatsoever what they do. That's their tradition. They're allowed to do whatever they want in their tradition. That's not a problem. But it's to say that we don't do things because someone did or didn't do something, right? Because humans in general can be inconsistent. We do something, we ask whether something is objectively right or wrong. So it's not about who does what, right? It's a question of whether there is a definitive and absolute right and wrong. If there's not, present your case right? But don't present it as dogma. Churches should be beautiful. I think, right? And then that will lead to discussion, right, of what's beauty, right? Or I think X, reason X for such and such reason, right? I prefer handwritten because it manifests or shows such and such concept, right? Formulate the what you're thinking and why and not as a a dogma, you can even say you don't like something. You're allowed to. You can say, I'm not a fan of such and such style of art or iconography, personally. I just don't care for it, right? No problem, right? Um, the problem is if I present it as my dogma, right? That I've come out to say, here's the truth about icons. I'm your, I'm your truth giver. Um, where it's not a dogma, don't pretend. I'm going to go into another controversial topic. I'm using the controversial ones to some extent to make a point because I think um, we forget um, like that we're doing it. Right. So the next one is screens, right? The church screens um, where the language of extremes are get these horrible things out of the church at once. These are the ruin of the church or these are the best things that have happened to us. We can finally pray. Anyone opposed to this is just ignorant. People who want this have no appreciation of liturgy. People who don't want this couldn't care less about the people they only care about themselves. These are the extreme things right? That gets said from both sides, left and right. What is it signaling? How the speaker views liturgy and participation is the dogmatic truth about liturgy and participation. Right? This is how we're all meant to see it by virtue of, of you saying it, right? Or me saying it. And, and we're, like every level of the church, we're guilty of this. Like clergy, lady, like I'm not, I'm not saying this to you peasants quote unquote this is all of us right that we that we do these things um so there are some people who will argue okay you know the screens they're hideous subjective i'm going through the thought process okay okay well the screens are hideous that's a subjective subjective view they hide the iconostasis possibly objectively true they take a person away from liturgy subjective there are others who argue that it helps one concentrate probably subjective. They encourage more participation, probably subjective. They can be placed in a way that does not block the iconostasis, objective. Can even be made to fit in beautifully, subjective. Okay, we're going to play this game of objective and subjective today. Please bear with me. Um, someone will, make, will say it'll make people stop paying, putting effort into following liturgy. Another will say the exact same thing about the books. Then everyone tells a story about someone they knew or themselves about how that specific opinion changed their lives. Or for the better, extreme better, or for the extreme worse. That when they did this, oh my gosh, they left the church because it was horrible. And another be like, oh wow, it was this single thing that made me remain in the church. Thank goodness you're here. Right, that's the kind of, 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 as though that gives it the finality, right? Um, like someone told me, listen, here's, here's a convert who came in and said, this is dumb. This is what we, I used to do in my old church. And then there'll be another convert who has said the opposite of saying, oh, thank God this was here. It's familiar to me. Because it's not about what the convert said. It's not even about what the, the Pope said per se, unless it's an order, right? But is something a dogma, okay? Or is it an opinion, right? What is it that's being ex- expressed? Um, I'm not going to pretend that I don't have an opinion about screens. I do have one, okay? I don't, I don't like them, right? I dislike them, but that is completely and entirely irrelevant, it doesn't matter that I like it or don't like it. Um, because the point is not whose opinion belongs to whom. The point is that it's an opinion and not a dogma. Because regarding screens themselves, there is no dogma. Conce- consequently, I can't declare a fatwa, like a divine proclamation or order, um, of saying that from here in on screens are wrong. Right? That's not, that's not true. Um, with the language of extremes, right, what we're doing is we're antagonizing another person and making another person feel that because of not having the same view as myself, they're somehow wrong. They're unenlightened. They're uncultured. They're unread. They're not respectful. They're not deep. They're not spiritual. We form all of these opinions about them, and we alienate them, right? And you don't even just alienate them um, because of your, your specific words, you alienate them because you create a whole disposition, a whole mood that affects people, right? Where, where people will be afraid to even have a conversation with you because they think that you have already determined that they're dumb. Um, this is so wrong, and that's so dangerous, and that's completely against the gospel. Okay? There is nothing wrong with having a good discussion. There isn't. Uh, with the pros and cons of having a screen. There is nothing wrong, in fact, having a discussion about the pros and cons of anything that's not a dogma. And just recognize that it's not a dogma, right? Of saying so, because you might reach different conclusions in different communities. Maybe in one church, the screen really makes sense. And in another church, it doesn't, right? So let me go through this one because I've said I didn't like them, right? So um, people would say, okay, the screen is gonna distract people from the altar and you might be right. But can you objectively say that holding a book a liturgy book in your hand that it's not possible for that to be a distraction too right is that not also a possibility um or would your answer be subjective right how would you weigh that for example in a parish where the prayer is all english and the screens in this church let's pretend for a minute that they don't block anything, they're blended into things really nicely, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever you think is your reason that they're not allowed to have it, but let's just say okay? Um, but that someone comes and says, we have tetas and gidnos, Giddos, I'm thinking of the American churches we have in the LA diocese, right? I was saying the Tetas and Giddos don't understand this liturgy and they are coming sacrificially for the sake of their grandchildren because they think it's important to pray as a family. Right. Um, and so putting a screen up with Arabic might help them. Are they objectively wrong? Right. Your, if your answer is buy them Arabic books, which I can picture a whole bunch of people just saying, oh, in there's a few of them. It's cheap. Just get them a few books. But you're, if, you, if that was your answer, then you're missing the point. It's that in in thinking that, in asserting that, on some level you're saying, I'm right. I'm right. And consequently, you should bend your will, your practice, and your behavior toward me because I know what the right thing is for the church. That's, that's the mentality that's behind it. Um, because my point here is not even about what's right or what's wrong, and I'm not saying that the There are no objective truths. Anyone who knows me, I'm the opposite. I'm hardcore about objective truth. But to say that, let's be real when it's not. And are you able to engage in discussion? Are you able to engage in dialogue? Because if you're not, there's a spiritual issue here, objectively. There's an actual problem going on, objectively, if you don't know how to dialogue. um, Because of your need to assert your own correctness. This is what the Pharisees did with Christ right they yelled at him for how he practiced certain things and he's god (laughs) right like he's not some random guy that they're talking about this is god himself and they're correcting him and this is what you'll do if we have that mentality we're gonna we'll go to the extreme of um correcting god um the language of, of extreme moves us to not towards repentance anyway So on the flip side, okay, those who argue that the screen um, is what helps them follow, right? Just to show you the the logic from both sides, right? For those of the other side, why are you asserting that it's specifically a screen that will help you and not a book? Like, why do you think you're the first generation in which it's only going to work? if it's a screen, right? That's not, that's not objective. Um, what if psychologically um, people are, I'm not saying that I know this or don't know this because I don't know this to be a fact or not, but what if psychologically people are more inclined to stare at a screen than they are at a book? Then there might be an objective reason to consider having a book over a screen. Right, I'm just saying these are the things that maybe we need to to think about when 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 we before we're yelling at people. Um, and are you able to acknowledge that there are situations where a screen isn't better? Right? Are you able to even imagine that that you could be wrong that there could be a situation where it's not um, dialogue? Um, you know, I'll tell you a funny story because this one is based off of a real issue. Um, I won't say which church I was at. Um, it was one of the American Coptic Orthodox churches, but I've served at three or four of those, so I'm not putting any one of them on blast. There was a fight about screens, okay? Um, and it's not the only place in which there was a fight about screens, but there's a fight about screens. Ambas Ravion, because he is such a boss, I love him, um, comes in, spoke objective truth, right? And he didn't say from here on you will do screens or not do screens, but he talked about the objectivity of either side and not to assert ourselves. One of the uncles, God bless him. I don't know if he's on here. If he is, I love you, uncle so much. Uncle came up to me, one of them and goes, honestly, Abuna, can I be so honest with you? I don't care about the screen. I'm fighting for the screen because I hate when people make me feel like a stupid infidel because I don't think they're wrong. And he goes, it drives me crazy. And that is exactly the issue, right? Is that look at, look at the, the product, look at the fruits of that kind of mentality, right? Is that it's creating polarity, just like it does in society, where somebody in church is being like, you know what? On a point um, of principle, I'm going to fight you, even though I don't care. Right. We're creating fights in church. OK, so let's take it to another example. Ritual and tradition. What is the language of extremes here? Oh, that that's that's just wrong. Um, Abuna wasn't supposed to do it like that. Um, that that's definitely not in the rubric. Um, this is going to be the worst Great Friday ever. Um, actually, that's not what the 1902 liturgy book edition said in the rites. Um, I don't remember what year it was before somebody jumps on me. It's not Christmas, it's Nativity. Um, please don't say Easter, it's Feast of the Resurrection. Um, those last two, there might be some merit. I'm not, I'm, my point right now is not to rip apart everything, it's to say here's how we're talking. Okay. What is it single, sig- signaling? The rights and rituals and rubrics. That the speaker received are the objectively true right ones. The terminology the speaker uses is the right one. I'm not a rights and rubrics guy. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not good at it, okay? Um, so it's hard for me to, to write about it. Um, but I've seen various things in different churches. Some people say English must never be prayed or spoken from the lectern on the northern side. Some say southern side. Some say it doesn't matter. Some altar servers will hold the cross and gospel when they're circling the altar with the Others will hold only the cross. Some do six stops. Some rarely do three. Some people chant the psalm during the procession. Others do not. Is there a somewhat right way to do things? Well, in the case of ritual, yeah, because we do have some standards. We do have some books that have instruction. Um, But there's also a question of what is the local ritual and tradition? Because rituals, just like we're saying before, like here's the way of thinking, did not emerge from heaven there was no archangel that came down and said when abuna is saying this deacon stand here there was no angel from heaven that came and said this is the part the part where our lord jesus christ is personally asking you to wash your hands it never happened so we developed rites and rituals and they're meant to Um, teach something right and they're meant to convey something and they have deep meaning I love ritual I'm not I'm not hating on ritual I actually love ritual what I'm what I'm what I'm critiquing right now is our tendency to dogmatize ritual and not just to dogmatize ritual but to dogmatize um, my view of the right ritual my view of which text we should follow my view of which one it is or isn't and consequently we start being conscientious objectors where we have no right to be that's an exercise of ego right of saying i don't care that my bishop has told us not to do this because here's the real ritual and it's like you don't have the right you don't have the right to protest that. Right? If your bishop has said something theologically wrong, then there's an ecclesiastical objective system for dealing with that. But saying, I'm not going to adjust my rights according to this, you've got to be careful because then what you're saying is, my will must prevail even over the order of the church. Right? These are, and I'm basing these on, on, on real things that. Um, that happen in real life. Um, The next one's more difficult um, to bring up um, because of how sensitive it is, but doctrine. Because today we see this a lot. So I'm going to give some examples of the language of extreme. It's called theosis. People need to get over it. Of course we believe in that. Of course, we don't believe in that. Um, definitely, that is not what the father said. All of the fathers said. These are all different ways that we're doing regardless of what side of whatever argument you're on, right? What is being signaled? Whatever doctrine the person holds to personally is the true dogma of the church. And if there's not a dogma, it's not a dogma. So dogma is a proclaimed tenet of the church for which no debate is permissible. Okay? So um, a dogma is, in, in other words, you can't belong to the faith if you don't agree with all of the dogmas, if you don't hold those dogmas to be true. So you can't call yourself orthodox and say you reject the Trinity. Um Doctrine, however, is like a well-established teaching, okay? It can't contradict dogma, but it's not dogma, okay? Um, There's room for discussion about it, okay? So we, we dogmatically believe in heaven and the kingdom of heaven. Doctrinally, we might discuss what heaven and the kingdom of heaven look like. But do we know what heaven and he- heaven really looks like? We don't know. Right? People had visions. We don't know if the vision was, was symbolic. If it was literal, we have no idea. So we have doctrines about that, teachings, but we don't have dogma about that. Um, some people believe in levels of heaven. others do not. Some believe in literal material crowns for righteous people. Some do not. Yet both views are permitted. Within Orthodoxy, irrespective of your leaning. Um, finally, our traditions; those are something like folk stories. Um, and a folk story doesn't make it whatever. It's just saying this is not something on the level of doctrine or dogma. Um, these are traditions that you can believe or not believe, and it's up to you, right? For example, the Holy Family went to Egypt. That's a fact. The stories about the idols falling down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We have traditions about that. Do you have to believe those to remain an Orthodox Christian? No, you don't, right? That's up to you. So to compare this to science, just to make it easier for you, this is like the difference between law, like a law in science and theory, okay? That law is, okay, we, gravity's a fact. Sorry, guys, get over it. That's, that's just how it is, okay? Whereas theory, theory is not law. It can be a very well-established theory. That's what we would consider doctrine in the church. Um, Or it can be a random case study. It could be something you're just testing out. You don't know, no big deal. Those also exist. So um, it's the same thing with the theology. another way of saying it just so you know so there's not confusing, confusion, some people will say capital T tradition, big T tradition, and, and small T tradition to indicate the difference. So, the problem that's being arising right, is that you now have people treating their stances on traditions and doctrines and presenting them like dogma and then insisting on um insisting on a particular way of saying it. Um, can I ask you a quick question? Has my audio cut out? Because I'm seeing a message saying connecting to audio. Can someone give me a thumbs up if we're good? OK, sweet. Thanks, guys. Um, and what I want to emphasize right now is language. I'm not getting into the debate about any particular doctrine right now. I want to make it very clear what I'm trying to do so that we don't get sidetracked. Um, If I insist on the word theosis, for example, when I know that some people understand the word to mean one thing, and other people understand it to mean another thing, should my language emphasize the word or the meaning if I'm a Christian? Like, should I have an objective if I'm a Christian to say, you're going to say it like this, darn it? Why? If there is no dogma proclaimed saying it, why? I'll give another example. The title Christokos versus Theotokos for the Virgin Mary. The title Christokos is not wrong. And prior to the Council of Ephesus, you could say Christokos, you could say Theotokos. When did the church insist on a specific title, Theotokos? When a global controversy emerged about whether it was wrong to call her that. And then the church stepped into the realm of dogma and took it to an ecumenical council. Now you cannot say theotokos is wrong with an understanding of what theotokos meant in the tradition of the church so for theosis there has been no such thing okay and so i'm not saying do you believe in theosis do you not believe in theosis have you theos? i couldn't care less right now what spiritual level you're at my point is to say are you projecting right are you pushing out your um preferred way of speaking your preferred understanding and saying this is how people must talk and my question after that is to say are you discussing that or are you beginning from a standing place of i'm right people should think like me people should say like me or have you asked where it came from what i'm doing why i say it have have you gone back to the gospel at all um I'll use another example, gay, right? When I was a kid, the word gay, um, that brought a lot of heads up really fast. Um, <laughs> when, when I was young, gay could, could still be used sometimes, it was already starting to go out, to mean happy, right? I read a lot of, of um, British books. So they would say, oh, like, uh, like that they're having such a gay day. Right. And they they were not talking about homosexuality. Right. Um, or, for example, I would read a book that would say that somebody went and pardon my, my language. I'm not using it right now in, in, a, in a at all a derogatory way. That would say that this person went and collected their faggots because that ref, that referred to a real noun. Why am I using those as examples is to say, if I today try and use that word the way it was used by the British or the whole world for that matter 50 years ago and say people need to be more educated and understand that this word really means this, means that I'm trying to impose my own view and my own preference on the whole world. And that I think that not only does my view like go above whoever I'm talking to, but that culture doesn't exist and that none of this matters. In which case I'd say you're like, what are you really trying to say, right? Then you have a really deep problem, right? If that's, if that's how you view it. Um, so we adapt and develop our language to make sure that the language serves us, not us serving the language, right? The language of extremes reverses this. It makes it about the language instead of about the meaning. So I don't care if you say theosis, divinization, etc. cetera. Um, but I'm saying, ask yourself on what basis you're saying what you're saying. Theopoiesis. Um, use whatever you want unless a dogma or canon exists on it. Because what I care about and whoever you're talking to cares about, hopefully, is what you mean when you say it. When St. Athanasius insisted on homo osios, he didn't make a word holy. He insisted on a word in reaction to a context of a wrong meaning. If the Aryan controversy never happened, we might never have cared that much about the word. Context is everything. Okay. Words are not holy, but they signify holy things. Um the other thing I'll say quickly, and I'm gonna I'm gonna shoot off now into like like just some closing thoughts and, and, and open it up to questions. Um is when you're saying the father said, or the father's never said, make sure you have a reference when you say that, right? That you that you don't just say, oh, the father's always said. Right. I've, I've, I've heard many people in their, in their lessons and their sermons and their whatever, we've all done it at different points in our time. They oh, of course the father said this. And, And then you come back again, language of extreme, of course, all absolutes. Right. Step back and be like, have I ever read that? Or did I just make it up because I think it and assume the fathers agree with me? Right. Like the real question should be, what did the father say? It should not be, how can I make the father say what I think? Um, so, what I'm what the, the point of all of this, because we're seeing it now with this whole COVID thing, right? We're seeing the language of extreme of, oh, wow, that bishop is clearly much more faithful because he took this decision. That priest is totally um, not righteous because he was too afraid to do this. This person's not a true believer because they didn't respond to this how I did this person is so righteous because they dealt with it like this unless there's a, a clear dogma morally or theologically then be careful what you're saying be very careful what you're saying right because all you're doing now when we do this when we use the language of extremes we create clubs we create we create cliques um cliques for you americans um extremism Um, discord Um, and extremism produces more extremism and then church becomes a battleground. Are you anti-Protestant songs or are you pro? Are you um, pro this position? Like that, that's what we end up with. Right. And then everybody trying to figure out where everyone else stands. We're always at war. And so the place to start in my view is yourself and myself right, It's to start off by saying am I projecting my opinion right now as a dogma? Like, why am I worked up right now about my view? And if it's because I think I'm right, that's okay. I might be right. But I have to ask the question of on what basis basis do I think that I'm right? And if the list of your why you're right is it's because it's common sense or it's because you saw it on a video or it's because what you saw locally, that's not absolute. That's not absolute. And so you you and me should just calm down right away and step back and say, hmm I've taken it to be true because I've always seen it, which is which is not wrong, right? I've always seen it like that, um, but you know what? Maybe is isn't um, either the definitive right way or not the only way, right? So then now, the minute that I'm thinking like that, I'm now in a mentality of dialogue, right? I'm no longer in a mindset of pontificating and antagonizing um, because if a person has this approach, you won't be affected or be a part of the fights. Not at your servants meeting, not among your WhatsApp groups, not at work, none of them. Because you won't feel the need to fight. And when you do fight, it will be about absolute truth for which a fight is is good right? In that case, it, it is right, right? You, a person shouldn't sit quietly and say, yeah, they don't believe in Trinity in this service group, but yeah, it's, it's okay. Like they're really nice and they've got great outreach program. No, right? Like there's an objective truth. Something has to be said, but if it's not, then I can calm right down and say, why do I think I'm the right way? This can extend to ideas in meetings of someone says, um, I really think that we should do, um, in non-COVID times, house visits. And someone being like, "No, no, 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 you shouldn't do house visits. That is so intrusive. Right? And so, because you're projecting, and I've done this, I'm using these examples because I've done this, right? You're projecting what you would or wouldn't like. You think it's intrusive. But what if it's completely natural to someone else to do and to receive? I've met people who loved it. Even though, I don't know, I'm, I, I might have found it weird at some point in my life. I don't as much anymore, right? But I don't need to jump in and say, no, don't do that. That's dumb, right? Instead, I might step back and be like, okay, um, we could. I don't know how everyone else feels. I'm not saying you need to have to give an opinion. But um, my concern, subjectively, um, I don't know. Um, that everybody would receive it well? Like I, like culturally, some people might find it weird. Um, do you think maybe um, we could have different strategies and then we can also ask the people we're serving and say, how many of you are comfortable with this? Because then those servants and, and people we serve who are comfortable with it, great, go ahead. And then actually maybe those of us who aren't even as good at doing it might be able to tag along to learn it from the others. Whereas me, on the other hand, I'm better at like the texting I'm not, but um, servant B. Uh, I'm better at this or that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it on this route um, too, because now I'm viewing the people as equals, partners. I'm not viewing myself as the truth bringer, right? I'm here to tell you how service gets done, right? Because then you turn into a naysayer, and then you end up with your echo chamber, right? Of you'll only end up serving with or talking to or hanging around with only people who agree with you. And then the minute you disagree, there's a major falling out. So let's return to humility, okay? Humility not only in terms of how we view ourselves, um, in terms of sin and righteousness, but humility in our speech, right? Of saying, there's merit to whatever is being said that I must listen to that my question in everything that I hear and that in everything that I say is, what is the truth, capital T? And if I don't have the answer to that, my whole disposition should change, my whole approach should change to treat people as human beings. Christ the Lord is truth himself. And he didn't club people over the head, even with absolute truth, right? So bring ourselves always we must conform ourselves to the gospel glory be to god forever amen um we'll open it up to uh questions i'm so sorry that took so long um let me zoom through some of these sorry trying to find it spam okay Okay. If everything that isn't dogma is an opinion, doesn't one opinion have to be chosen? How do you determine which opinion is chosen if neither is objectively right? Um, by the way, if you want to use the raise your hand feature and ask questions like using the mic, um, go for it. Um, just hit the raise your hand and then um, and then Nina can uh, un- unmute you to, uh, to ask it. Um, yes, one opinion does have to be chosen. The difference is that once you're no longer asserting you being the definition of faith, there can actually be a productive conversation um, about what to do, right? Because now you're actually listening to one another. And when everybody is ready to deny their own will, which is love, right? We should try it. Um, everything's more peaceful because now you're approaching other people's ideas with an open mind, not to kill it, right? If I say, fine, we'll try it, but I'm telling you this is gonna fail, right? Then it, 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 there's, there's an ego there, right? Right off the bat, it means that you think you're right. Whereas if you instead were saying, it's not how I would have done it, it's not what I was thinking, I have my concerns about it, I do, and there's nothing wrong with that, um, but we will, um, let's try it. And if we try it, we'll make it work. Um, I'll give an example, like my home church, when we started, um, we had like this almost like service revolution, like 20 years ago, maybe now, um, where we like revamped completely used services. And we were very dynamically different people. There are things today that we did that I don't think today we would say yes to the same group of people. Like, I think people today would be like, absolutely not. And it did so much good. Because God was able to work when people were living the gospel. So the only thing to not ever do is something dogmatically wrong, which includes the gospel. So we're not going to do something that's intrinsically wrong ever. So, yes, opinion does. But how do we determine? It's to say... Sometimes there's something more right or less right. Those are going to be a bit subjective, but it's to have that discussion of saying, why are we doing it? Because if you know why you're making a decision, you're not going to feel um, panicky or worried about your decision, right? Because if you say, no, 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 we decided to split up the classes like this because we were assessing it based on one, two, three, four, five, right? So situation changes. It's like, okay, no problem. We said that because of one, two, three, four, five. One through five have changed. Okay, let's revisit it. It brings everything to a much more calmer atmosphere. Um, I see uh, Nicholas with his hand up. Or is it gone? Oh, there's more. Okay, you know what? Nina? Um, how about you take care of this because I didn't see um, what order they went up in. And so I don't want to, uh, it ping me only for Okay, one.
1: Ma- Miriam, Hannah, go ahead. What happened, uh, Andrew uh, Masood? If you if you want. Hey Andrew, I can't hear you, Andrew.
0: Huh? Hello? Okay, now I can hear you. Hey, hey, man, I owe you a virtual um, matanya, man. I'm sorry? I owe you a virtual matanya, but go ahead.
1: <laughs> no, I'm <not> <laughs> Please forgive me and pray for me. Um, my my question is actually um, a follow-up from the last question.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: let's say you have that discussion. Uh, I'm, I'm asking this because I, I recently had a, a discussion with someone at my home church about this exact thing. So it's it's a, co- a great coincidence. I believe by God that you're talking about this. Um, so the discussion happened, but I couldn't really tell at what point are, is one side supposed to give, right? At what point are you supposed to say, okay, خلاص, I'm being a, a stumbling block to uh, this person, so I need to give. Or at what point should I say, no, I have to keep trying to let him understand none of this really matters. Does is that kind is that of make sense?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know everyone gets mad at me when I say this about like, this is why spiritual guides are so important. Um, but I would say that that would have been my go to right. Like for me it would have been 100% that I'm going to go to my guide because um, I can I can expose in front of my guide my real motivations right of being like, OK, I have a real point here, but part of me also just kind of wants to win. Right. Um, or I have no ego here, but this guy's going to freak out when I say this, but what he's saying can't work, right? And that's what I mean about the different degrees of, of objectivity and subjectivity that come into it, right? And so what I would say is lay out to the best of your ability what is objectively true while having the attitude and disposition of I will lay down my will if I'm not being asked to do something wrong, right? And... The other exception to me is where we're genuinely and sincerely and not because I'm trying to make a statement, but genuinely, and this is where the guide comes in handy, my conscience wouldn't allow me, right? Where it's like, okay, they're asking me to um, send this message that, that I know is going to cause this person to have this issue. But what I would say is that I would go to those responsible and say, I i would love i would like to comply i'm not trying to assert my will um i i legitimately cannot do it because my conscience troubles me for this reason please help me because i'm not trying to defy you right i think whenever we show genuinely that we are not trying to win The mood in the room tends to change, if not the same day, but eventually. Um, So I would say, yeah, lay those out. Use the systems that are in place. Lay them out. Where there's something objectively true, then say it, right? And then participate according to your role. So let me give, I'll make up an example just to make it not hypothetical. So like, let's say I'm on the board of deacons, just as, as an example. And... I'm on the board of deacons specifically because I was asked to represent a certain group or position and that my function in the role of deacons is to weigh in as a parishioner and as a member of the community on a particular issue. Right. And so let's say they're voting on a church project and you have very strong financial background in fact, you're an accountant or a banker or whatever, you've studied it, you've, you've done all that. And you're like, this is a disaster. Right. This is going to bankrupt the church. They think this is going to be a walk in the park and it's not. Right. Then and then they're saying, "Hey, Andrew, don't you love the church? Don't you believe like God will provide? Don't you know that the people, when they see it, they will come if you build it? There's going to be all of that. I'm not saying there's no truth to any of those. I'm saying that'll be the standard response. And you have a genuine thing. I say step one, acknowledge what they're saying. They might be right. That's what they start with the starting point of, I don't know absolutely that I'm right, even though I know with fair certainty, there's a good possibility I'm right. But I still might not be. So let me indulge the other way of saying, okay, so then um, can I ask as a responsible member of the board, what's going to be put in place that if we're wrong, we have an exit? Um, because I would, I, I would love the project. I'm not anti-project. I'm anti right now, us going bankrupt. So like, what are we doing to examine this? Could we maybe go and consult with somebody who this is expertise, but it's not just my opinion, right? So, so you did all of that. And then they come back and say, Andrew, we want it. Well, at the end of the day, it's a vote. And so I submit myself and I will participate in um, what you're asking me to do in terms of responsibility, but I won't be casting my vote in favor of it because responsibly, I don't um, think it's the right idea, but I'm not going to force my idea, nor am I going to be an obstacle to yours, right? Like It's not a perfect example, but it's just like the mindset, like of, of walking through it. I hope that helps a bit.
1: Okay, Nicholas. Hi, Abuna. Hey Uh, man. How are you? I'm good, how are you? How's Seattle? I actually just got home, so it was good timing. Um, Nice. So kind of with all of the COVID-19 stuff going on, we've seen all of our churches suspend, like liturgy vespers bible study and all that and i understand the health concern but uh, i guess one thing that stuck out to me was and i understand that avoiding a viral uh, spread is important but one of the things that struck me is just how quickly the state said no more gathering no more church and um uh, mm-hmm how quickly we we were just like, okay, it's all done. Yes, no more, everything like that. And again, I understand that in these circumstances, avoiding a viral outbreak's important. But I guess one thing that kind of struck stuck out to me was uh was, you know, there may be times in the future when the, you know, I guess the church can't always bank on the state being okay with us congregating. And I guess one thing that I was kind of wondering about is maybe there's a shortage of priests and maybe there's a lack of like house and home altars and maybe um i'm trying to think of how to ask to phrase this as a question uh just wondering if you think it might maybe one thing the church can like step back and learn from all this is like you know when most of our churches have like i don't know that church i go to has like 200 300 families it's huge so right if um if there were to you know god forbid but if there were to ever be a time that the, that the state was all of a sudden not so friendly to us uh can the church maybe like see this as like a place where we're kind of weak uh ecclesiastically right now is that if something were to happen we're, we're a little too uh, reliant on these big buildings and these very, you know, we don't really have anything in place uh, where if something were to happen, even if it's another viral outbreak, I could see where if there were more priests and some sort of house altar thing set up, we could at least set something up so that people could still, you know, get communion, you know, if because, you know, if you yeah. could get 10, 12 people to gather at a priest house or a designated altar spot, then we, you know, and do, like, some sort of, I don't know, I'm, I guess it's just something that's been on my mind, is Mm -hmm. maybe, uh, but then, you know, what's the reality of, 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 uh, ordaining so many priests, like, I don't know how much sense it makes to ordain a priest for every, like, 30, 40 parishioners or not, but I, I don't know, I guess I don't really know if that was a question or a comment or what it was, but do you think the church, maybe this has, like, exposed a little bit of a weakness that that we really i, I don't know maybe i'm just kind of bummed you know because it's like i don't know it just seems strange that we're not that we don't have anything set up to take communion and i get I, again i don't want to be like one of those people that's uh because you you were talking about that where it's like this bishop is more faithful or less faithful i understand that we don't want to put people in danger but the church's main concern really should be like uh you know, helping us all take communion and everything like that. So I don't know. I, I guess I don't really know what how to phrase it as a question.
0: No, I hear you, and it this whole situation just sucks, right? Yeah. Um, but I think this 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 makes the point even more, right? Is that when something's wrong it eventually gets exposed, right? And so it's like that, which is all the more reason why people need to be, I think, more humble in how they speak. Because when things go wrong, the weaknesses in the system become apparent. And if you were never dogmatic about it, then you'll be able to humbly say, oh, we made a mistake here. And you won't feel uncomfortable doing that because you didn't talk like it was dogma, right? Um, like the analogy that I keep using for this whole situation and I'm, I'm sorry for its graphicness is, this is a guy, this is a scenario of a guy who some guy breaks into his house to rape and assault and kill his wife and kids. You have like a split second to make a decision about how you're going to react and you have a billion verses flying through your head. Am I turning the other cheek? Am I defending the oppressed? Am I with zeal consuming? What am I doing? Right. right. And so, and everyone is basically yelling one of those right now. I was saying, turn the other cheek, defend the oppressed. God's wrath will consume them. Everyone's yelling something, right? Where it's like, just calm down. You might make a mistake in how you respond, Right. And as you're saying, from it, we then learn what do we do because we didn't know what to do. Yeah. So, for example, even with like this situation, it's never happened in history. I I, I just finished up at a Catholic seminary. They were looking back to how did the Catholic Church deal with the plague, for example. Yeah. Even that's not comparable because we didn't know a lot about public health back then. So okay, actually, okay. the priests went out in droves and died in literally the tens of thousands, pretty much as martyrs, um, giving communion and um, administering last rites and unction of the sick to their diseased people with the plague, and they got the plague themselves, right? Right. So it's like, but that's not comparable because we, we know things now. So I agree with you. I, I know that it's not a question, but I, I, I get the sentiment. Um, yeah. And I would say that all we can really do is say, is step back and say, what does this show us about where we're at? And then enter the discussion, then what should we do? Okay. All right,
1: thank you. I, and that's, that's actually, I'm glad that you made that point because uh, I, I have heard and seen a lot of people saying things like, you know, anytime there's ever been uh, any pandemic before, you know, Christians were the last ones to leave the city and they were in there caring for the sick. But uh, nobody had made the point that when all that happened, you know, nobody knew about, uh, didn't, you know, germ theory hadn't come about. They didn't, you know, it's the first time this has happened that we've understood more about the way viruses spread. Exactly. Yeah. No, That's thank you for making that point because I had never, I had never considered that. But uh, this, this—I mean, I, am I wrong in, in asking it or thinking that this is the first time that you know the Catholics, the Eastern and the Oriental Orthodox churches have like canceled liturgy for any reason?
0: Like um, the no, actually, I think the, the, like for us in, like the Egyptian Church, we've had to for persecution before, um, but because it wasn't for contagion liturgies did occur in people's homes. Right. Um, and same thing with Russia, for example, during the communist regime. Um, yeah. And I think that's why all of the churches actually, it's funny, um, I have a, 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 a really dear uh, Eastern Orthodox priest friend um, who before all the rules came out, he was kind of like, what are you guys doing? Um, <laughs> and we were all like comparing what we're doing, how bad are we going to look? What are people yeah. going to think? And like, what's the reaction going to be? So it was funny this time because even my Roman Catholic priest I was like, what are you guys doing? Because um, yeah. we all want to be on the same page because no one wants to look unrighteous in front yeah, of their I, brothers.
1: <laughs> yeah, I asked a deacon at the old Eastern Orthodox Church I went to and I was like, "I was like, did you guys cancel liturgy? And he's like, at least for two weeks and there was a part of me that was like, okay, I guess we're all in this together then. Like Nobody's out there... Uh, you know, yeah, like you said, nobody's trying to outright just somebody else. So you would say that even if we were to have, like, an army of priests, and we were to have, like, a home altar system set up already, just because the nature of this being a virus that can spread from person to person that we probably still would have to uh, suspend literally, like, that would prevent us even from meeting in small batches to receive communion. So even that wouldn't be something that would... uh that would still enable us to all to continue partaking in the sacraments.
0: So that's something being discussed. the The issue is right now we're still in a phase where if things are we're moving pretty rapidly, and so what you might give permission for one day becomes illegal the next day, right? Like in right. Ontario, here in Canada, just on the weekend, they reduced it to five people allowed. Right? It was okay. ten before, and it suddenly became five. Right? So yeah. It, like our clergy meetings like the things you guys are debating, we're debating too right like it's it's the same thing on the other end where it's just like, can we do this? Could we try this um and everybody wants to um so I think it's just unprecedented, and that's why I'm choosing personally not to focus on who's right or wrong subjectively, even though i I have opinions, I do have opinions, and yeah. much just saying. Um, how can we? I'm, I'm trusting that we're all remaining faithful. Right. Um, I was saying we have no clue what to do about the situation. Dad got forced to go to Saudi Arabia for a month. <laughs> what are we going to do? And we're literally figuring it out day by day until dad comes back. Yeah. Huh. Okay.
1: Yeah. Because I wasn't even trying to look at it as like a right or wrong thing.
0: Oh, I didn't see it that I way. Say, no,
1: no, sorry. Yeah. It really is just kind of like a bummer situation. But uh, I guess it does make sense that given that it's a, it's a virus, uh, that even then, like, it's like, okay, technically, legally, we can have this liturgy with this many people. And like, you go to liturgy on Monday, you go to liturgy, you know, have a rotation so everybody can commune once a week. But even then, it's like, at the heart of the issue is, are we putting ourselves and other people in danger by continuing to just meet? Anyways, although it's kind of like how much danger can you, anyways, I don't want to get into my opinion about it, but uh, thank you for answering that because it's just something I was thinking about was it's like, you know, kind of seems like, you know, we got over here at St. Mary's uh, in Seattle, we have like three priests for probably five, 600 people. And it's like, you know, let's say that, you know, God forbid something non-viral happens and people say we're not allowed to like what would we, you know, at that point, how could three, you know, right now they're already stretched. Abunas are already stretched pretty thin. Um, So it was just something I was thinking about maybe brainstorming on how we could, uh, I don't know, just continue to help administer the sacraments if if anything around no gathering were to happen again. But I guess it's kind
0: of, I don't know. I'm sure we'll respond to that when it, if it gets to that. Um, yeah we're just hoping it ends right yeah okay
1: well thank you abuna thanks dog
0: um one second carlos i'm gonna do like one written and then one mic question just so that i don't end up picking all the written so carlos i'm gonna be a jerk so just hold off one sec um any tips on serving with this mentality and working through pushback from the community parents other servants priests, et um Yeah, that's where the gospel comes in um like and it's 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 tough right um and and i hope that it makes it more clear that it is it is specifically because we don't live the gospel well all of us that we have these problems right um we're always quick to to identify what we don't like about something and consequently we end up with 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 this question Right, because you're asking it because it's a real thing and it's a common thing, and I know. Um, What I would say is, to the best of your ability, um, subject your will to theirs, but use your position properly. So what I'm saying is, is I'm not saying be silent. If you're a servant, you have a voice at the servant table. Use it. Um, But just have a, a perspective of, if it's not objectively wrong, I'll submit to it. Because then you can those that you think might be affected by it negatively, you can outreach personally if they're actually affected negatively, because sometimes when we've done this, it ends up going really well. It goes the opposite way. Um, I would say like um, the more that you've been clearly giving up your will, the more seriously people take you when you express your will, right? Like we've all probably at some point seen that one person where it's like, Wow, even so-and-so spoke, right? That guy never talks. And so suddenly we take that person really seriously because we're not used to them being opinionated. So the, the, the less opinionated we are in general, um, the more seriously people take us when we do bring it um, because they'll be like, okay, they feel strongly then there must be an issue because this person usually likes to do whatever the rest of us are, are doing and thinking. So, um, live the gospel, walk the extra mile. Remember that those with whom you serve and under whom you serve are broken human beings too. Right. And that all of us come with our baggage, right. A lot of our strong opinions come from personal experiences that we've gone through, right. Or the result of something. And so I should come to the table if I have that in my mind of being like, okay, um, like they feel really strongly about it. No problem. Maybe they're having a rough time. Let's not rock the boat, right? Um, And if you, and that maybe this person needs you to walk the extra mile. It's not the way that you thought it was going to be, but that they do need you to walk the mile with them because they need to vent, right? Maybe this person needs some handholding. Maybe this person needs a friend right now. And so, once you start living the Gospel to them, I know it sounds so generic, but it's not. I really think it flips on on his head. um That's all I can give as a general thing as opposed to a specifically one. Um, uh hi, Abba. How are you? How
1: are you,
0: man? miss you
1: I miss you too Uh I just had a question about something you wrote recently. Uh, you said that when we're divisive, we lose out on the blessing of having a different kind of Eucharist. Could you speak a little more to the, the different kind of Eucharist and, and how we can partake in that?
0: Yeah, I mean the Eucharist of the believers. So definitely on no level am I suggesting that this could ever replace um, the, the, the full and real sacramental Eucharist that we receive through the elements. Um, but that the concept of Eucharist is thanksgiving, an action in which we commemorate the death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord, um, and by which we are united to him and to one another. Right? So there, that's what I mean about these situations forcing us to look at absolute truths of what do we believe about this Eucharist, Right? That's not all we believe about Eucharist. I'm not trying to sum it up in that, but of saying it's those elements that I think that the physical Eucharist is not the only way, even though it is the fullest way. Right? So I guess let me use a, um, to make it not so philosophical, let me make an analogy is, um, I'll be using this on on Sunday, so act surprised. Um, (laughs) Is, let's say, you and your spouse um, are used to your daily meal together because it means something. And ever since you got married, you always have the daily meal and it's, it's part and parcel. And I would say, let's pretend that there's such thing in marriage about this, that it was, doc- it was dogmatic that you have dinner daily. Okay. But then something happens where like one of you is forced to leave for whatever period of time. Are you no longer in communion because you didn't eat together? No, but you're missing something necessary and real. Okay. But just that you're now going to have to overemphasize things that don't cut it. Right. Where it's like, we're going to text more. We're going to video chat. Um, I'm going to write you letters, whatever means I have at my disposal to do what we did in that dinner i'm gonna do until you come back and we can have dinner right so that's what i mean for example about like the Eucharist are saying how can we unite as a local community within your own homes and in the community at large and to god with the means that we have because there are a billion means right it is prayer it really is prayer right there is these talks, there is the online streaming of prayers, there is families just spending time together and playing games. All of that is actually sacramental. All of that is Eucharistic. If it is done in the name of the Lord and directed at the Lord, then it's Eucharistic. And that's why we need to like, benefit from this period of finding that out, right? That it might have been that the married couple for so long they had the dinner forgot that the dinner mattered, Right. Um, or the opposite. They're like, I don't know why it matters so much. I'm still having dinner. And so if you don't know what the dinner is, then there's a problem. So I would say it's about um, becoming one with every kind of means that we, that we have. Thanks, everyone. No worries. Uh, does someone have their hand up or should I read another question? Um, So two people asked me to clarify what dogma is. So dogma would be, religiously speaking, law. Okay. It would be um, something for which we proclaim an absolute about, where there is no room for discussion about it. Um, uh, Trinity, right? The, like, that's when I keep on using. Um, Like, I'm using it because there's not actually a lot that we have dogma about. Um, The articles of the creed are considered dogmatic statements. Um, Hi, Marco. Um, On the issue of icons, for example, at what point do we deny ourselves versus having an objective standard for having something done, even though it may not be dynamic in and of itself? Um, I'm trying to understand the second half of it. Oh, I think you mean dogmatic in and of itself. OK, sorry. Um, so we might need sometimes to have an objective standard about something. But my issue is when you proclaim the standard to be divine truth, right? So, And, and that if you're not doing that, you'll be able to have the discussion about what you're asking. So for example. Let's say we said, you know what, icons can be done by anybody or anything. And then 50 zillion people came into church with their drawings at home. Um, and some are good, some are bad, subjectively. And it's a free for all. And now you have 100 million icons. And then some people are offended because you put up theirs and not others. And then how do I do this? How do I cycle them? And, 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 and you have all these problems. Now we have an issue. The issue begs a solution. The first question in finding the solution is, is there an absolute about this? If no, what are we basing our decision on? So we might then say, guys, here are the standards we're going to set out as a rule. Because otherwise it's a free for all that was causing problems. That's valid. And the church does that. That's why we have ritual books and doctrinal books and stuff like that, right? That's why we consecrate icons. All those are developments. And so that's something I'm not against that. But if I understood that the decision was made for those reasons in that way, based on what was going on in the time, if a hundred years later, there's something different going on, I can revisit that. Versus trying to say, say that because for a 100 years, these were the rules we put, therefore they're absolute. That's not what orthodoxy is. Orthodoxy is not saying what's old is good. Orthodoxy is saying what's true is true, and that is good, and that's God. It's a completely different mentality, right? And so I'm saying come back to those questions, and then we could have that. Then the decision-making becomes a lot more clear. I hope, that, I hope that helps. Feel free to follow up. Um, you mentioned that there are some things that are important to defend, like our Trinitarian Foundation, but some things are m- more in the domain of opinion. How can we know what is foundational versus what has room for opinion? Particularly asking as a servant who has to teach and have had conflicts arise where different opinions conflict. Um, it wasn't covered. Um, oh, feel free to not reply to, to this. I actually think your question is different. Because the examples that we were using before were more of social related issues. But I do think sometimes it comes up doctrinally. Right, like where sometimes you might be um, giving a a Sunday school lesson and someone says, hey, no, 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 no. Actually, you can't say that because one, two, three, four, five. Um, And that does happen. And that's why, like, my father confession that I had growing up before I went to California, he had given me a rule and I sell it to everybody. If you're going to say something have a reference don't just say it like make sure you know why you're saying what you're saying um uh, john i'm putting you on blast because i miss you and i saw your message late and i'm not ignoring it um what if i have a specific talent uh for example playing music um and i'm frequently asked to play um a certain genre of songs but have a very hard time playing the music in the spirit of worship because it's not your preferred method of worship so there's a few people who asked a question about protestant music like using the word protestant um which i think ties to um um when you had just you guys know i'm i'm paraphrasing some of the questions that i'm getting to not put anyone on blast um so again i would start off with is there an objective thing right or wrong yes or no so start off with absolute objective and then second level. So step two is in this scenario, the subjective objective. What that means is this whole, where am I in this predicament with who I am actually with honesty? Right. So, and that can be the positive or the negative. So let's say, I think that something is, um, objectively wrong like what you're calling protestant songs i'm not going to have the debate about protestant songs but let's pretend that there's uh, to, to make my point let's pretend there's an objective definition for what is a protestant song if it is objectively protestant it's a no brainer because if it's objectively protestant it means that it is doctrinally protestant and 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 by that i mean where we differ from protestants doctrinally in which case that's an already a no and your bishop would agree with you okay um if it's not but now this is the subjective objective where it's like this song's not in and of itself wrong but like i know how it affects me and i also feel like and i say feel like because you might not be right about how it affects the group that they're using this in a non-orthodox way that gets in the realm of subjective even though you might quite well and probably do have a point right but then I'm saying it's about the approach that I take. So then I might say, okay, is this a regular thing or is it one-off? If it were me, um, before I even sign up for the service, i probably have that conversation. Because once you've had the episode once, you know it's a problem, right? Um, but we don't always have that luxury. So whatever I mean you do in the moment, don't worry about it in the sense of you were that person with somebody breaking in, you had to react. You might've been right or wrong, whatever, it happened. But then... It warns going back to the person who gave you the service and saying, I struggle with this. Um, so I'm not here to oppose you and tell you that you're mistaken or you're not understanding. Here's how I perceive the use of these. If it's subjective, if it's objective, just say it's subjective. But if it's subjective saying, I think people use this in this way. Um, I, I don't feel comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. So then the person might say, cause they're in charge. Okay don't do it at all you will be able to with clear conscience not do it and you won't even be angry because you'll say okay good that i'm not being forced into position of conflict because i don't want to be the source of conflict there's not an objective truth here so i don't need to sound the alarm i've also voiced what i think um clearly and then if you see that the problem is growing you have a a, a duty i wouldn't say a right a duty as a a member of the congregation to at one point, if there's a real objective thing that you can notice to go to the person and say, I think we have a problem here. Right. Um, It's, it's hard. It's hard because we're hoping that everyone's living the gospel, Um, but we're not all going to be doing that. Um, I don't say baggage incorrectly. I say it the right way. Um. there is okay, never mind, that was a follow-up question Um, that got answered how do you dedicate everyday activities of the family to God? Do you pray before your activities? So part of it is praying before the activities, but part of it is, is this understanding of Um, and I think this is going to be what the talk on Sunday is about on, on Coptic Orthodox Answers is how do you view relationship? right, like Is relationship about um, instance in time? Are relationships about um, particular activities that we do? Um, or Or is relationship about my disposition towards another living being? I know that sounds philosophical, but it's not. It's about whether or not everything you do is actually both about God and directed towards God. Right. In the same way that you, as a married person, because um, I saw your pictures on Twitter, um, are in relationship to your husband when you're at work, even if you're not physically with your husband while you're at work, it still has a direction that includes your husband and, and, like, and vice versa. Your working for money has a has specific goal and context, hopefully, within the context of your relationship. They're not just goals and ends of themselves. If we realign our relationship to God to understand who we are in relation to him, all of our activities become about, in, through, and everything at him. And it's not philosophical. You'll know what I mean. Um, So prayer is not a bad way of forcing our minds to go back to it if we do that. Like, if we don't just say words, but say, I'm gonna pray because I'm gonna to talk to you about this activity before we do it. But I say even the activity itself, is what does this mean in God? Are my thoughts directed at God? And if we do that, then you'll, you'll end up asking the question a lot of why do we do this? What role does this play in my, my life or anything like that? Um, I will take one more question because there's a lot, lot more it's been two hours and you guys are troopers. I don't know how you guys are still here. Um, So I will take one more um, before going and I'm choosing it literally at random of whatever came up next. Do you have suggestions for those who are missing the beauty of group prayer? Um, Some of us don't have Coptic family members at home and there seems to be something lacking in only praying with others over live streams. Um, I hear you. I don't know that I have a good solution because of the quarantine. Um, What I would might say is if you can call people, it's not much different from live stream, but like specific friends, like particular friends of saying, I actually spiritually really need this. Would you guys be willing to pray with me? You might be able to get a little bit of that on the one hand. And on the other hand, you're helping establish um, fixing things because we shouldn't feel weird to ask each other to pray right that shouldn't be a weird request for for a christian and yet for some reason for many of us it is the other part of it is not an answer as much as a reflection of saying sometimes when things go wrong it helps us see the right more clearly you're missing group prayer the wrong is, is showing you what health looks like, where you might not have thought that you would ever miss group prayer. That thought might not have ever crossed your mind. But now that it's not there, it is of saying, oh, wow. And so maybe take it as its own prayer to God of saying, when you restore us, because I trust you will. When you fix us, because I trust you will. When you heal us, because I trust you will. Help us to be, remain in, in, in group prayer. I'm sorry that it's not a, a, um, a great one, but as much as you can reach out, be vulnerable is what I'm saying. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. And I say to those of you on the other end of it, don't be afraid to offer it. Don't be afraid to say, hey, do you want to pray together? Even for just a short minute, um, I think would be great. Um, thank you guys so much. Um, these will now be weekly. Um, and if you had... Um, a question that didn't get answered. If you want to hang on to it, um, like copy and paste it or something for an upcoming one, great. Um, for those of you who have been um, messaging, I just want to apologize because, um, as you can imagine, it's been a crazy time—not just in terms of service and prep and 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 clergy meetings and school, um, but also with a lot, a lot, a lot of messages. Which is no problem. I'm not saying that as a as a complaint. I'm just asking you to not be discouraged or upset if. Um, I'm not able to respond quickly or notice things promptly um, just because of how much is, is going on. I really, um, I I hate not answering with all my heart. Like I really don't like not answering and I don't like not responding and I don't like not having time for people. It it makes me feel like garbage. I just want you to know that it's not um, coming from a place of um, ego or um, uh, or pride or of, or of, um, neglect all right guys let's end with um an our father um and then we'll peace out in the name of the father son and holy spirit one god amen we ask you, lord to hear us through intercessions and prayers of your holy mother theotokos saint mary the great saint anthony saint pope cordless and mary mina when we say with all thanksgiving our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Love of God, the Father, the Son, the, Son the, the Holy Spirit, with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all.